the, 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 the centerpiece of, of the conference, the busyness of life, we are trying to address that. Please realize it, it, we are going to be busy. There are things that are, that are loads on us that, that make that intensify that di- the busyness, that make it feel utterly impossible. And, and I would like to speak about one more of those things. Indeed, all of us, all of us can think too highly of ourselves and, and the, the process of catching those desires that move from, from ordinary desires to inordinate and ruling and idolatrous desires. We're always keeping one eye out for those, those things. Lord, have mercy. Tax collector, that's, that's who we aspire to be, a child, a tax collector. Uh, Lord, have mercy. Yet, people have also been hurt by others. And they limp through life. Well, they don't limp through life. They look like they're doing really well through life. Uh, but, but that's not their own experience. There, there are weights that so many of us carry because of the rejection of other people. Because, because other people have... Other people who use their job to love us, they, instead of loving us, they disgrace us. And, and sometimes it can be a spouse who, who, in anger, speaks horrifying things. It can be the drip, drip, drip of growing up in a home where you're unwanted. It could be the, it could be the storm of of an event that has changed your life. Sexual violation at the hands of, of a person you know, a person that you don't know. What other people have done or could do is a weight because we, we care too much, but it's also a weight because because they have done things that have been devastating and have left us defiled. I, I spoke about shame one time with a, with a large class in Philadelphia. And probably around 100 students. And, and I, I, I decided to start off with something that was just a, a bit present, somewhat shameful in my own life. And then I, then I asked... How many of you, and by the way, it's a group very similar to, to us here, a group of, of people who weren't fresh out of college, fresh out of high school. It was an assortment of people. There were, there, were, there were some young, there were some very old. There were people who followed Christ, were committed to taking some nice days and coming to classes to think about these things together. It was, these, were, these, these were really fine, ministry-minded fruitful people. And the question was, how many of you struggle with the experience of shame? Where, where the, as you walk through life, nobody would notice it, but you live with this burden of there's something wrong with you, feeling like you're some kind of outcast, uh, you're, you're this loser, you are a nothing. How many of you, every day, palpably, you feel that it intrudes? And I was, I, was, I was sort of hoping somebody would raise their hand, like, you know, like a, or a little auction that twitched their nose or something, it, it, because, because I'd, said a couple, I'd said this one thing about my own life. And, and immediately, every single person raised their hand. Every single person raised their hand. Fear of man is an issue in all of our souls. But I would suggest to you Scripture doesn't do things symmetrically all the time. Scripture is more interested in the defilement and the disgrace and the disapproval and the rejection you have experienced and how you have been beaten down by that. It's more interested in that than it is the idolatrous nature of our own hearts. Now, why do I say that? Simply because the sheer amount of words that God uses to speak to those who experience shame. So, what I would like to do now is, 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 is 
is take something, an experience that tends to, by its very nature, it, it wants to be in the shadows. Shame does not want to be seen. And it, it goes through almost every human heart. Some people, it's, it, it's something that intrudes occasionally, but for others, and I'm sure some of you here, it intrudes all the time. And, and, and it adds this weight to all of life. Our question is, so much, so much of, 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 of our life is, is the struggles we have, our question is, what does God say? What does God, how does he speak to these things? That's, that, 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 that's our goal, to take these ancient narratives in Scripture and, and see our modern problems and somehow be swallowed up by these ancient narratives, be carried away by them, where Jesus retells our story. And that's a challenging thing to do. That's our task with, with this experience of shame. And in trying to keeping, in keeping with Scripture's strategy and the Lord's strategy, let's first talk about it. Let's find it. Let's put words on it. Do you ever feel like you are unpresentable? If people really knew who you were, they would all, they wouldn't laugh. They would turn away. You're, there's something about you that's just sort of gross, a bit disgusting. You ever feel unpresentable? Well, by the way, the, the word naked carries that experience through Scripture. We, here, here, in a sense, is one of the questions of humanity. We, we defile ourselves by turning away from our God and turning toward a snake. And so we, we defile ourselves. And part of the experience of being defiled is we feel naked. We are seen, and we, when we, and we feel like we have, have to have something that covers us up. And, and when you go to Luke, when that defilement is exposed to the world, people will say, rocks fall on me. Rocks be my dress, because it is much more preferable to be crushed by a gown of rocks than it is to be found naked before the holy God. This is... This is Jesus speaking of what's to come. You ever feel unpresentable? That if you were really seen, if really known, people would turn away. You feel like you don't fit in. You, feel, you ever feel discarded, disposable, unlovable. sense of being an outcast. That's the theme we're going to pick up in Scripture. You ever feel contaminated? Disgusting? There's something really wrong with you, and, and, and it, feels, it feels so ugly that you confess it, and confess it, and confess it, but it is immune to confession because it's not what you did. It's what's been done to you. And you can confess your sin, but you can't confess the sins of other people. But it feels, it feels like you're just as dirty or more dirty as if you'd done it yourself. You ever feel unclean? Here's the problem with being unclean. The, the, the experience of being disgusting and loathsome, but, but the deeper problem is that the unclean cannot come near the Lord and you know it. So if you are living with shame, your sense is that everybody else around you has a favored place before the Lord, and you are here on a technicality. The elders didn't, didn't, cap, didn't, didn't really understand. When they did your membership interview, they didn't quite realize how vile and disgusting you were. It's sort of a Cinderella complex, if you will, where yeah, you're technically part of the family, but you're not part of the family. You're technically part of the family. You have no rights and privileges. You live in the basement. Now, the, the banquets that are to come, you have no place in the banquet. That's, that's the experience of shame. 
And, and, and shame can come in two different ways. Some, we can feel by what we've done. We are more interested right now as you can feel because what has been done to you. You have been disgraced by another. And, and by the way, the reality is you truly do become unclean when you've been disgraced by another person. And when you're unclean in the Old Testament, something has to be done about it. It doesn't mean you've sinned. But, 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 but somehow, you have, you have been yanked away to death, if you will. And this is a continuum that we're on. Life in Christ versus death. Sin drags us into death. The defilement of other people yanks us into death, far from the Lord. And what is Scripture all about? How can he take unclean people and take them closer and closer and closer and closer so they're finally in his house experiencing his hospitality at his very table. You ever feel unclean, repulsive? Some other places will find it in scripture. You ever feel weak? You ever feel inferior, less than other people? Or you'll find it in, in, in the word grouping around poor. You ever feel like you are nothing? You're utterly worthless. Sometimes we feel worthless because we're not as great as we would like. More often, we feel worthless because we've been treated as refuse by someone along the way. And we have, we have bought their story. You ever feel like nothing? A big fat zero. Well, watch the story of the poor. Watch how, watch how the Lord comes to the poor. That's, that's part of the story that you want to have overtake you. Question is, does God do anything about your shame where you just sort of stuck with it? Shaking in your boots a bit about what's going to happen in eternity when, when somehow you know there's this revelatory process and things are, things are seen more clearly. Look for the naked, the outcast, those who don't belong. Look for the unclean, how they become clean, how they move closer to the Lord. Watch the poor. Watch the leper. Watch those who are on the outs. And, and they will be your way of entering into the story. Because right now you feel like God's story is not about you. That's what the shame feel. God's story is for you. You know, for, for the nice people, but it's not for, not for the people who are defiled. Well, those are, those are some of the ways you're going to be able to enter. Look for the leper. Look for the barren woman. Look for the blind person. Look for the poor. Look for the outcast. That's sort of your in to the story of Scripture. And watch how Jesus speaks to you from that posture. What's the opposite of, of shame? It's the opposite of fear. What's the opposite of the fear of man? It, it's, it gives us a bit of a vista. Helps us to see other things in Scripture as well. Covered. Glorious. My people. My people. He, he, he uses a personal pronoun for you, my people, and he asks you to use the personal pronoun with him. My God. Not just God, my God. People, um, sometimes I talk, when, when I introduce my wife, I say she's my wife. And there have been a couple of people who said, why don't you just call her Sherry? Well, anybody can call her Sherry, but I'm the only one who can call her my wife. <laughs> my wife. Uh, these are some of the things we're going to be tracking in Scripture. This is where the story is going to go. Not to mention strong, honor, head lifted up. These are some of the places that you might find in the midst of this story. So, here's, here's what we're saying. The shame are, have been dealt with shamefully, and they have good reason to feel like they're excluded. And, and, and it, by the way, shame people can be really very good counselors because they believe the reality of Scripture for you is just not relevant to them. So they can, they can speak things that are beautiful, but have immunity to, to that beauty because it's, it's not relevant to them. 
Well, what we're doing with each other right now, and perhaps you're thinking of some friends, where we're trying to find a little door in Scripture where they can be brought in. So instead of being these outside observers, they are they're actually brought into this story because there are many, many people like them in Scripture. And it turns out that similar to fear, it turns out that the Lord seems to have an interest in the shamed and the outcast to the point where if you don't feel like an outcast, you're not going to be able to hear some of these beautiful words in Scripture because they are reserved uniquely for those who have been defiled. So, so enter in, enter in. Indeed, the story begins, we've turned away. We're, we're unclean outcasts because of what we've done. And, and, but nothing has changed. God's intent was that we would walk with him, by the way, in the garden itself. That's, that's the walk is evoking what, what, what happened at one point and what will happen even more when we see him face to face. But his intent was always to be with us. And, and nothing changes when, when we turn away from him. It's his plan for, for bringing us back to himself. Is just, it's just this long and utterly exquisite plan. Here's something important, though. You know, in, indeed, we're all familiar with defilement because, because of things we've done. But, but when you get to Leviticus in particular, there is a, there's a certain breadth to defilement. And it's not simply what you've done. It's who you've been associated with. If, if there's been something, there's been something humiliating in your family, you know what happens? You're humiliated. You didn't do the humiliation. It, it, it's actually, in, in, you are found naked. That's the, that's the literal way Leviticus talks about it. If, if there is someone to whom you are connected by blood has done some flagrant sin, you yourself are made naked. It exposes you. It brings some kind of uncleanness on you. It's, it, it's the people we're associated with. It's, you touch a dead body, and what happens? You, you've, been, you've, you've been brought to death a little bit. And the Lord is saying, no, he's going to do something that brings you to life. When you have come in contact with a defiler who lives close to death, and speaks words of rejection, uh, who uses you for his own good, when you, when, you, when you encounter somebody who has an affinity with death, it's going to drag, you're going to feel like you've got death all over you. So, so uncleanness, we can, do it, we can do it ourselves. But we are especially interested in how other people can actually render us unclean. They can leave us feeling like nothing because that's the way they treated us. Enter into the story. Enter into the story. It's it's just beginning to pick up momentum, but it's it's got to pick you up before we go anywhere. It's it can't just be an interesting story. This is the way you're caring for one another. You're how okay is. Is this for you yet? <laughs> it's not for you. Let's, let's speak about this. And then you pray, Lord, have mercy. The, 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 the words of death can seem so much louder than your very words of life. Give us ears to hear. And you continue to pray those things with someone who, 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 has, who has been willing to speak of the shame that he or she experiences. Follow along. But follow along having been in the story. See, in the story are people who have been defiled by what has been done to them. So it's about you. Here's some of the places the story goes. Exodus chapter 19. The Lord says that you are a treasured possession to him. It says it again in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Oh, I know you're not listening. But by the way, I'm speaking to you as, as, as perhaps you would speak to another person. Um, treasured possession. It's, 
granted, it means nothing to you, but, but it's the opposite of what you experience. You can't imagine such a thing that anyone, especially God himself, would call you a treasured possession. But we'll just, we'll just, sort, of, we'll just sort of log it away. We'll file it for a moment. He also calls you a royal priesthood. Who are the priests? They were the ones who were close to God. They were the ones who, who moved toward the holy place and even occasionally into God's very throne room itself, the Holy of Holies. What, it's where the story is going. So I'm, we're not expecting you to be all excited about this quite yet, but, but the story is going somewhere. Leviticus 10.10. It's a kind of taxonomy, but it, it's a helpful one. It says that there are three kinds of people in the world. It says, it says that there are, are things holy, there are things clean, and there are things unclean. And this is the way the world is divided. And, and it's a taxonomy that, that, that it's, it's, your, it's closeness to death and closeness to life. The unclean have had some sort of contact with death by way of pagan rituals, by way of association with a dead body, perhaps by way of their own sin, or by way of someone else contaminating by their own sin. The unclean are, are farther away from the Lord. The clean are the ones who you feel normal, if you've ever felt normal. It's, it's the spiritual equivalent of feeling good, where right now I feel good. I don't feel any aches and pains. You know, my body is sort of background noise. Well, being clean is like that, where you're not always self-conscious. You can, you can walk among other people, and nobody's going to say, say, steer clear, don't touch this person. You're going to be able to go actually even into the outer temple precincts. You're going to be able to present your sacrifices. You have sort of free reign of the things that God has, has said are yours. You want to be clean. The problem is, that you're always slipping into the unclean. You, you know, inadvertent things happen to you. Inadvertent things happen to your family. And you're always slipping into the unclean. Well, the sacrificial system is intended to say something has to be done. God has to do something. You can't, you can't make yourself move from unclean to clean. And so the sacrifices move you from the unclean to the clean. Oh, there is another category, by the way. It's called the category of the holy. The category of the holy, it consists of people, places, and things that are uniquely devoted to God. They are, they are set apart, if you will. And, and the priests, in particular, are called holy. And the holy, th- those who are called holy seem to have this unique access. So that's the taxonomy. That should be encouraging to us because it ident- it's, you feel unclean. You're right. You are unclean. Uh, so it's, it's your story. So, so enter in. Oh, by the way, there are other things that happen. You know, you're called a holy nation. It's, it's uh, whatever. Um, it's, you just log it. You... Exodus 28, there's an interesting story. Give them garments. Make garments for them. They will give them dignity and honor. That's a loaded statement, isn't it? If you're following the storyline, the storyline is we are naked, we have lost our covering, uh, we were intended to people, to be pe- we were never intended to stay naked. The, that's what little kids do. Uh, but when you grow up, I don't, know if, I don't know if you're thinking about heaven as being like a really cool naked nudist colony. Uh, some people are, I am not. <laughs> that does not sound like heaven to me. Uh, and I believe that I am on orthodox territory when I say that. Uh, because, here's the, because nakedness is either bad or you need to grow up. And in the garden, it was, was growing up. You're naked like a little kid. But you're going to ascend to something much grander. There will be an investiture. And at an investiture, you are going to receive royal garments 
that looks strangely, curiously like the God who walks with you. That was, that was really the mission behind Eden, and nothing has changed. So, the, so, so, so you know, you get that particular storyline, and all of a sudden you find garments, so that captures your attention, nakedness, unclean, you want to be covered, you're trying to cover yourself with little fig leaves, you're covering yourself with dead animals, nothing works very well, and finally, these garments will bring dignity and honor. They will bring the stature to humanity as it's always been intended. Now they're garments for the priest. And you're, you're not the priest. You have to be from Aaron, you have to have the right beard and all kinds of other things. And, but you are the priest because you see the priest wears you wherever he goes. He, 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 your tribe is, is, all, is, is, is always on him. So essentially when he goes places, you're going places. That doesn't make any sense to you. File it away. Be aware of this. Something is happening. There are some people, see everybody was unclean. Believe it or not, we are all unclean. And the Lord is on this mission of moving people from the unclean to the clean and then to the clean even into the holy. It's restricted to priests right now. But it won't always be restricted. That's the way the story seems to be going. Psalm 34, 5. How do you get from the unclean to the clean? You can't rehabilitate yourself. Those who look to him, they're glorious. Their faces, you know, their faces are never covered with shame. Somehow, shame is, is all about your associations. It, 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 you can't de-shame yourself. Shame is you were associated with, with something or someone who was associated with death. And there's no way you can have a resume strong enough to counter that. And, and, and it, it looks like David is suggesting this. You were identified by that connection to death. By the abuse that you experienced, by the rejection you experienced. And here is what the Lord is going to do. He is somehow going to sever that connection and he's saying, you are mine. And, and now rather than being turned toward the one who contaminated you, you are turned toward the one who says is yours. Those who look to him, they're never covered with shame. Isaiah 54 Isaiah 53, you know Isaiah 53, it's the, it's, it, it is the, the most detailed picture of the work of Christ in the entire Old Testament. The suffering servant who, 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 who becomes ugly and, and, and he becomes refuse as a way somehow to bring life to his people. The, you would expect that something that comes after that is going to sound pretty good, and it does. Isaiah chapter 54 it's talking to a barren woman. Get into the story. The barren woman is the sort of classic picture of the unclean, contaminated person who they, they were thought of as being on the outs with God. God was far from them. They, they were rejected by God himself. And so, so it's your story. So you are, you are the unclean, barren woman. You are the one who, you look around and everybody's got all these nice little blessings and you have nothing. You're cursed. So it's your story. And, and, and so come into the story and, and Isaiah, he goes on, enlarge your tents because you're going to have all kind of progeny. And you're wondering how all this is, how's, how's this all going to happen? And and it finally says, it's going to happen because of this. Because your maker is your husband. Your maker is your husband. Shame is a relational phenomenon. You, you, you get hooked up to an honorable person and you somehow experience something of their honor. We know that even in human ways. The, this isolated woman is, is now a glorious woman. 
and, 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 and this, this full camp that surrounds her, this full family. And it's because your maker, your maker hasn't come close and blessed you. No, your maker is your very husband. He has purpose. He's contracted. He said to you, I do. And, 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 and everything changes in your status as a result of being connected to your maker. That's Isaiah 54. Isaiah 55, it's, it's also what we would expect. Now come. Come. You experience shame. You experience defilement. You don't want to come because you feel like you're going to be exposed. You, you, you come closer to the Lord. He sees you. Other people are going to see you. No, he... Somehow, in what he did, he took defilement upon himself. And, and, and in that betrothal, there's no fear in coming. But he has to say it three times. Come. Come to the waters. Come, you who have no, no money, no food. Come. It's this extravagant offer. It's a very passionate offer. I want you to come. This is for you. This, you feel like a barren woman? You feel like the one who was on the complete outs? That's who's being called to this particular banquet. In fact, the, the, the qualifications is you feel like a needy outcast. People who don't feel like a needy outcast, they don't need to come to a banquet. They're happy in their own homes. There's this, there's this wonderful feature of one of one of the catechisms. And the question is, who can come to the Lord's Supper? Speaking to a uh, person a little while ago who, who neither he nor his church has come to the Lord's Supper for 50 years because to go to the Lord's Supper is this expression that you are, you are adequate to come to the table, come to the Lord's table. And for 50 years, nobody's felt quite adequate for that. What a horrifying way to understand the Lord's Supper. Lord's Su- in the way this catechism goes, the, the Lord's Supper is for those who are displeased with themselves. Isn't that a nice, a sweet way to put it? You feel displeased with yourself? You see your sins, you, feel, you see your failures, you feel displeased with yourself, you see the uncleanness that nips at your, nips at your soul. The Lord's Supper is for you. That's... That's the way scripture goes. Isaiah 55, it's hopefully the, the story is picking up some momentum where Jesus is very savvy as to your condition. He's not ignoring it. He, he is speaking directly to you and it just so happens you are in a position to hear his voice in a way that the smug and the self-satisfied are not. You know something about your own neediness. You know something about your own uncleanness. So he says, come. And by the way, come, come, come. If you're reluctant to come, you know what? He's going to say, come tomorrow. It's come, 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 come. It's, he will, he's happy to repeat this to you. So it's, not, it's an offer that, that's, that's always standing. It's not like three strikes and you're out kind of thing. And then Jesus comes and and he says this. Here's his ordination ceremony. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is, this is Luke chapter 4, because he has anointed me. He has anointed me as king. He has anointed me as priest to proclaim good news to the poor. You are his job description. The poor, are, 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 that's the barren woman. That's the blind. That's the outcast. That's the contaminated. They're the big, fat nothings. They're the ones who, are, who cannot walk around freely in the community without, without being derided by someone. The anointing is to proclaim good news to nothings. People who have been treated as nothing. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He sent me for the recovery of sight to the blind. There's something about blindness, as you know from John chapter 9 in the New Testament, where they were uniquely outcasts. 
any kind of physical deformity was, could, could put you on the outs, but somehow blindness was especially bad. And Jesus identifies the blind in his job description. You feel oppressed, you feel blind, you feel like nothing. Well, he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that, that the sabbatical year has, has come. What you find at this point is that, is that there were people who opposed Jesus, there were people who just didn't care about Jesus, but he developed a following. Because in, in the following was the poor and the outcast. Because very early on in Jesus' ministry, he, he was reviled because of the, the, the people he ate with. He ate with you. He ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. Everybody's a sinner, but these, were, these people were identified. They were known by their sins. Their sins were public. These were the people Jesus ate with. And, and when you eat with somebody, it's another way of saying you're mine. It's, a, it's, a, it's fellowship. When you eat with somebody, it is closeness to them. So apparently this was not the Messiah because he sullies himself with unclean people. And there's no way a Messiah is going to be unclean. He will walk exclusively with the clean. And he goes further. Luke chapter 7 and 8. It's as if Luke chooses a very intensive section to, to speak about these very things. The, on one hand, you have the, the, the sinful woman who anoints Jesus uh, and breaks into this, this Pharisee's meal, touches him. You have her. But let's, let's focus on, on, on the other woman. And she's, by, by the way, called a woman of faith. Look at her. This is who you want to emulate. The other woman is, is a woman who is unclean, not by any fault of her own, the, the unclean woman at the, at the dinner was somehow her own sin. But this woman had this bleeding that it was, it was, it was this connection to death that, that left her destitute. Without a family, she had a family. Once the bleeding started, she had to be kicked out of the house because she was unclean. Clearly rejected. And, and she gets Jesus. She understands she's heard come from him. Nobody else ever said come. And she doesn't know what to make of it, but so she comes. She comes. And, and, and when she comes, there's a sense that I want to get closer. If I can just touch him, which is an audacious thing to do, because, because here's an unclean woman. She's, she's bringing death to Jesus. She's, she's, she's contaminating Jesus himself. But, but all, everything she's heard, she watches him. He makes a beeline to all the outcasts and the lepers. Uh, they seem to be his people. So she comes. And she touches him. So it's, this is, if you get Jesus, this is what it's about. Closer closer, closer. And, and then for our benefit, Jesus, Jesus stops and essentially says for us, let me tell you what just happened. And here's what happened. Lots of action. This woman touches Jesus and in touching him, he is contaminated. Jesus takes on the contamination of others. And that's what he was doing. When he was going to the unclean, oftentimes it identifies how not he came close, but he actually touched him. With some people, he's putting saliva on them and touching them all over their face. You just don't do that without being contaminated yourself. Jesus is saying he is the one who is going to absorb the shame of the world. And and so come. And he, he himself will bear your shame. Not just your guilt, but your shame. And it's, it goes like this. that we, There's always this transaction, this spiritual transaction. We give something to Jesus. 
We give him our sins. We give him our defilement. We give him our abuse, our uncleanness. And he gives us himself. He gives us holiness. And, 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 and so often in the New Testament, holiness is identified as life, as healing. It's the person is going the opposite direction. They're moving away from death and toward life, anticipating something that is, is, is even a richer life. So the woman receives from Jesus healing, but Jesus identifies it as power has gone from me. Life itself has gone from me to this particular person. That's what happens when you come. You see, the reality is, if you have been made unclean, you are unclean. It's not a figment of your imagination. You're not just making it up, and so you sort of have to talk yourself out of it. No, something has to be done. When you come to Jesus, he he takes your uncleanness. It is given to him. Meanwhile, in what seems to be the void, he gives you his very self, his own righteousness, and now you have moved from this category from the unclean to the clean, now not only can you go travel around normally because you've been healed from your disease, but now now you've entered into the category of the holy. This unique contact with the Lord. And she is identified as a woman of faith. Very few people have been identified this way in the New Testament. When they're identified as such, we want to emulate them. We want to sort of follow their lead. That's what he does. He, he, he accumulates shame. And, and if we didn't know it before, when you move to, to the book of John in particular, it, it, these are not crucifixion scenes. Other people have been crucified. And, 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 and Jesus' death with nails and things like that, it was, was there precedent for it? I'm sure there was some precedent for it. His death itself was typical it didn't stand out. But it was the, the humiliation ceremony that, that lasted days before that is not. The, the disgrace that was heaped on him ultimately by the entire world, by representative of the Jews and the Gentiles. The, it, was, it, was a, it was a ceremony where here, Behold the man. Behold the man who takes not just the sin of the world, but he takes all the shame of the world and bears it for us. And and somehow in the cross, he puts to death our sin and he puts to death the power of shame because now we're united with him. So as a result, Jesus says in Hebrews chapter 12, Essentially, seeing what was ahead, the honor ahead, he disgraced shame. He spit on it. He accumulated on himself as a way to say it has no more power. As you are in Christ, you will feel, still feel disgrace at times, but you can spit on it. It will no longer keep you from the life giver. It will, it, it, it will expose the disgrace of the one who has disgraced you. Excuse me for getting all excited about these things, but this is, this is good stuff, isn't it? He chooses shame, goes to the cross and puts it to death. And, and then everything changes. Oh, by the way, before that, he, he says something very curious. He said, it used to be that you could be defiled by your reputation, by the things people did against you, or by the things that you eat, uh, by the things that entered into your body. But no longer will that defile you. The boundaries are changing. Now the only thing that can defile you is your own sin, things that come out of you. In that particular defilement, there is cleansing for such things. You ask forgiveness to the one who who delights, Old Testament and New, delights in forgiving sins because it brings honor to him because no other gods forgive unless you do something to show how sorry you are. He forgives freely as a way to exalt his great name. 
So, so now there's a certain kind of immunity that we have to shame. It doesn't, we don't bear the same disgrace that we once did. It, it's not a disgrace that actually now pulls us to death. The disgrace the Apostle Paul identifies, he essentially he's, the Apostle Paul creates a job description of disgrace. He, he, it, it's, he doesn't look like he should. He doesn't speak like he should. He doesn't act like he should. People don't want to be associated with him. And it's part of his mission. That's what, that's what he's chosen to do. And what he's saying to us is now disgrace will connect me to the one who has been disgraced. Now, now disgrace will connect me to the very life giver himself. This is not to speak lightly of the abuse and shame and rejection that, that we have experienced. It is to give hope. It is a living hope, and this is the way it will be. Disgrace Though we can still feel nipping at our heels and still hurts, it will no longer be part of us. It has been put to death in the heavenlies, and it will be fully eradicated to us at some point. And the Apostle Paul says, He was crucified in weakness. By the way, weakness is shame. You're, you're nothing. And so when Paul says, he, when he boasts in his weakness... He's boasting in his shame. He's nothing. He he's doesn't fit in with the, the, the important ones around him. He says, in that weakness, I am now, it is now the evidence of my unity with the one who is weak. And in him, I know a certain strength. Now, what is foolish, what is shameful, is now being used to, to ultimately shame the wise and shame the strong here's the story only misfits can come to Jesus sinful woman woman with the bleeding tax collectors these are the heroes of the early church they were the ones who were identified as people of faith so if you feel like an outcast this is you are the one in the very center of Jesus' mission only outcasts can come. And when he comes to outcasts, what does he do? He comes close. And when he comes close, it's just like a human. It, somebody really important knows you by name, spends time with you. You sort of bask in a little bit of the residual glory. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's evoking something much, much more profound than that. As we come close to Christ, we... We know of his honor. He's the one who lifts up our souls. He's the one who, who brings that investiture. Holy nation, nation of priests. He, he asks you to set out for your mission. To come to enter the holy of holies with confidence. That's, that's the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. That's it. It's, you die before if you want the Holy of Holies. But the curtain's been torn. And now it's all, it's all been about coming closer. Come, come into the temple precincts. Come farther in. Come to the Holy of Holies. Now bust right in. And, and come to the very presence of God. This is his delight. This is his delight. I, it, it, when, when I'm at work, if my wife ever happens to show up, she, she has to bust in at any time. It's because I have a unique relationship with her. And, and I feel bad if she doesn't bust in. Because I'm saying, look, you're, you're more important to anything that is, else has happened. You just bust in at any time. There's a certain way. It, it's an expression of affection. It goes both ways. Come with confidence, the writer of Hebrews says. Don't just come and come to the banquet. Come with your head lifted up. You have nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of, because he's already carried it. Come with confidence to this banquet. Feeling inadequate, that's, that's, the, that's the meal ticket. Come with confidence. And, and certainly the way this is going to be expressed most often in our, in our communities is the Lord's Supper and communion. It's... 
It's the banquet table of the Lamb. It's the one who, who is said, come close and I will show you this divine hospitality. And by the way, the, 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 the communion supper is, I am yours and you are mine. You eat with the people who are yours. It's, it's a statement of fellowship and an identity. Here's something sort of odd. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there's, um, there's a pastoral situation that Paul is identifying. And the pastoral situation is what happens when, when in a marriage, one person comes to Jesus and one person doesn't. The, the, the pastoral strategy it would seem like it would say, you divorce the person because you're, you're, you're hanging out with somebody who's unclean. You've been made clean and even holy by, by the Lord because you're with him. And now you're with somebody unclean. He's always going to be selling you or she's always going to be selling your reputation. So you divorce. What Paul does, it's quite profound. He says, no, if, you, if, if, if the person is pleased to live with you, continue in that relationship. And it says, because... Because he's unclean, perhaps, or she's unclean. And the unclean can take the clean and drag it back into the unclean. But you see this category of the holy. It's a different category. The category of the holy, when the unclean comes to the holy, the unclean is made holy. (laughs) Because you are close to God, and the person comes close to you, and they share somehow in that proximity. And... And so, no, stay there because, because your children are holy now. Because you are holy and they're connected to you, they, they enjoy a particular relationship with their God. It's, you see, it's a curious thing. It's, it's, it's as an unclean person, you, you're outside the camp. There's no way you can walk through the camp. But as a clean person, you can. It's, things are fine. As a holy person... You walk through the camp, and, and somehow even you can attract people to the Holy One. So go out. Walk, walk among the camp. There's, there's another passage that, that captures this as well. It's, it's John, chapter, um, John chapter 7, I believe, where Jesus is at a feast. And he says, you know, the time is coming when those who follow me, out of their hearts will flow springs of living water. And you, know, you read that particular passage, and it's interesting. It says the springs of the Spirit. What Jesus is doing is he's going back to a picture from Ezekiel, where you see there's this temple that's gone through in much detail in Ezekiel. And toward the end of the story, the temple begins to leak. Water comes out of the very throne room itself, and it starts leaking out the temple. It forms this river. The river gets bigger and bigger, and it begins to cover the entire land. It's a beautiful picture. What Jesus is saying is, it is, is you are the Holy of Holies. You individually are the Holy of Holies. The Spirit of God dwells within you. And wherever the Spirit of God dwells, he renders that place holy. And your job is to leak. Your job is to leak, is to walk around and leak wherever you go. And, and, and to speak, perhaps, words of life, deeds of life, as, as, you, as you portray and draw people to come close to the God who calls them to know true humanity. Does it feel like it lightens the load a bit? The busyness of life persists. But, but to do it with your head high, to do it knowing that it is in partnership, it, you are yoked with your God. And sharing his yoke, you share in his holiness. Peter is, Peter is a fascinating case study. He, he experienced shame by way of his own sin. And and the, the nice thing about his, his letters is you wouldn't know it. He talks about more living hope. That if, 
if I was writing First and Second Peter, I'd probably start off saying, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm so unworthy to write these things, and who am I to exhort you? I'm just a schmuck, and did I just curse... I was just cursing Jewish. I, I didn't mean to. Uh, um, but yeah, but yeah you just, I'm, I'm, I'm this low life. But here, you, you know, take these things for what they're worth. That's, that's the way you'd write a, an apostolic letter, it seems to me. But you, never, you don't have any evidence of, of those things except this. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me tell you about you. And you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people. I want him. I want her. You weren't the excluded. And, and then Paul elaborates and says, you have been known from the very foundations of the world. And, 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 and when you are known, you are incorporated into a people. You're absorbed into a larger people. You are a chosen people. You see, what, what Peter is doing is he is taking final aim at this story of shame. His story of shame is nakedness, outcast, unclean, but God is going to do something about it. And he's sort of giving some of the, the conclusions of what God is doing. You are a chosen people, not done. You are a royal offspring of the king. You are, you are, you are elevated. You're a priesthood. No longer are the garments simply reserved for the actual priest. We are all a priest together, and priests wear these really cool garments. They're beautiful. Everybody says, ooh and ah, and you go into the very throne room of God with confidence, because he's the one who has clothed you and made you holy. You're a holy nation. You're not just an ordinary nation. You're not a clean nation. Your nation has been very... You as the church, you've been brought very close. By the way, when, when Scripture talks about you're a building, it's really talking about, it's not just talking about some building out there. It's not talking about the local Walmart. It's talking about the Holy of Holies. You, you, are, you yourselves together, you individually are, are the Holy of Holies. You corporately are the Holy of Holies. You are this holy nation. And you probably know the next phrase. You're a people belonging to God. Your people belonging to God. And when you belong to God, Peter goes on, out you go. Out you go on this mission to leak and call others to this same belonging. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? It's a beautiful story. And, 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 and just to state the obvious, his counselors, his helpers, this beautiful story, it... it Oh, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Well, thank you. Now everything has changed. It doesn't go that way. It's, it's, we hear the story, and we might say, did you hear anything? Any hint of life? Did you see yourself in that story? Nope. Well, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that the story breaks in, that, that life the, life, the, 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 the water goes all over you as you give it to others. And you pray some more and talk about the story some more. And, and for those of you who have grappled with these things yourself, what happens? It's, you, your heart is buoyed. And then the next day, you feel like slime. <laughs> and you feel, you feel like you've lost track of, of the story that you've been brought into. And it's, what do you do? You get reminded of it. You come to church. You go to the Lord's Supper. You hear sermons. You... You read scripture. That's, that's the normal Christian life. It's not an on switch and off switch where you go from shame and now, oh, voila. All the burdens are gone. But, but we, we deal with those burdens as people, as Peter says, with a, with a living hope. It's been very good to spend time with you. Let me, let me pray. And by the way, this, this, to pray these kinds of things, it's, it's especially, especially poignant or at least at least worthwhile to point out, here's a blessing is, is for people who are close to the life giver. Blessing is other words of life. And, 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 and as, as, as the priests of God, you have received his benediction in Christ. And, and the evidence of that is now, as the ones who have known something of that life, now as priests, you go and you bless other people. 
Numbers chapter 6. This is the way you bless the people. As a priest of God, speak life to others. Let me pray for you. Father, would, would you continue to turn your face toward them? Whether they turn toward you or whether, whether they run from you, would you, would you turn toward them? Would they, would they know, would they see in your countenance the God who as you turn toward them, it is, it is with pleasure and, and is with generosity and is with delight. Would, would they know, would they know your face toward them in such a way that peace goes just a little bit deeper? In the name of Jesus, amen.